Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Iron Galaxy. Scream like a school kid with Capsule Force, an intergalactic retro anime multiplayer game now available on PS4 and Steam. See CapsuleForce.com for more info. Thanks, Iron Galaxy! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi everybody, my name's Eric Arnell, and this is the first Nerdwatch Presents Your Stories podcast of 2016. Thanks for sticking with us as we enter our fifth year as a show. That's crazy. Uh, appropriately, the next couple episodes you're going to hear are titled Annual Four, which brought to a close our previous 12 months of episodes. Uh, we invited back some favorite speakers and played some favorite songs from 2015, uh, and these episodes are a little more music-heavy than most. Uh, this week you'll hear from Andrew Bentley, Henry Birdseye, Kyle Talley, and Katie Johnson-Smith. You'll also get music from myself, Dwight Hassler, Claire Friedman, and Jim Snedeker. Uh, the Nerdalogs are just starting to lay out our plans for 2016, and we think it's going to be a pretty boss year. First up, we'll be at the Midwinter Gaming Convention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, demoing Fisticuffs, our brand new card game, in just a few weeks. Uh, you may remember last year that we re- uh, recorded an episode of this very show at Midwinter. This time we're just going up with our game. We'll be there playing and selling from January 15th through 17th. So if you're in Milwaukee, come say hello. Uh, back in Chicago, January 17th is our next Live Your Stories episode. Uh, our special guest, speaking of gaming, will be representatives from fellow Chicago podcast co-op shows, One Shot and The Campaign, a couple role-playing game podcasts that are excellent. A uh, friend of the show, James D'Amato, who masterminds those other podcasts, has chosen character generation as a theme for the night, and it should be pretty cool. Uh, as usual, our show records at the Sun Office Theater, 1917 North Elton Avenue in Chicago, at 7 p.m., and it is totally free. Uh, one last thanks to our sponsors for the episode, Iron Galaxy Games, and thanks also to Cards Against Humanity and the Chicago Podcast Co-op. Uh, if you like our show, or any show on the co-op, it would be spiffy to, for you to find that show on iTunes and leave a brief, nice review of it. That really does help us a lot. Uh, iTunes makes it easy to find all the other co-op shows since it has a page especially for us. Uh, we're doing it, man. We're really doing it. All right. I think that's all I've got for now. So let's get into 2016. One, two, three, four. Do. Do, 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 do,
This is the ice cold Michelle fight for that white gold. This one for them hood girls, them good girls, straight masterpieces. Styling, wilding, living it up in the city. I got Chuck's song with Saint Laurent. Gotta kiss myself, it's so pretty. It's too hot, hot damn. Hot damn.
interactive but your uh your help is still appreciated
We got a bunch more of those, but we got to get to some storytellers. Our first returning speaker to the stage. He's been in a bunch of these year-end episodes. He's just a fantastic orator and a great friend to boot. This is Andrew Bentley. Bentley! Hello, I'm Andrew Bentley. And I turned 28 in August. Now... The significance of that dates back to my 22nd birthday, shortly before I moved to Chicago. That night, I was working a turnaround at the Hotel Helix in D.C., and so, in lieu of traditional celebration, I settled for getting drunk at the adjoining bar and crashing in a free room for six hours between shifts. In the two hours before retiring for the night, I managed not only to almost get myself fired by accidentally outing a guest's girlfriend as a local escort, but to set set for myself a deadline of sorts. See, at that time, I was only three or so months out of college, from which I'd graduated with both acting and criminology concentrations. My decision to pursue the former, rather than applying to the FBI, was only a year or so old. It was still unclear to me if it would stick. I knew that, statistically, at age 30, one became much less desirable, not only to federal law enforcement, but to a wide range of employers. So in order to give myself a window of re-navigation, I set 28 as the year I would honestly and critically appraise my career and decide whether it was worth continuing or whether I should take the next two years to set myself up in an alternate line of work before I was capitalistically unfuckable. (laughs) Now, my first mistake, of course, was assuming I would have a career at 28 rather than an amalgamation of misleadingly promising experiences. (laughs) If you're thinking to yourself, no, your first mistake was getting concentrations in acting and criminology. Touche. And may I politely invite you to fuck your own butt. My second mistake was arguably that because I had managed to get a job straight out of school and was at this point only socking money away for the eventual move, I hadn't yet quite grasped the implications of the Ridley Scott-esque economic hellscape into which I and my classmates had graduated. Still, after six years of mental bookkeeping... It seems disingenuous not to engage in the sworn introspection. Now, granted, we've all signed mental contracts while drunk, which fail to hold up in court of brain law, but I had 2,191 subsequent days with at least few hours of sobriety in which to abolish my pledge, and I did not. However, since my quote-unquote career has never really had any sort of dramatic genesis, I'm forced to refer back to a long plateau of events to my point of earliest memory. I figure if I examine at least one salient event from each of the intervening years, I'll not only have a suitable spectrum of data from, uh, but we will in effect have told 20-some stories at this storytelling event and will therefore have diluted my tendency to indulge instead in meandering and quasi-ironic philosophical frittage. (laughs) Age three. I remember the zoo and pushing another boy down the stairs when he stole my toy. So far, the score seems stacked in favor of law enforcement, perhaps something in the prison system. Age four, I make my first friend. Over subsequent years, we will indulge in countless hours of improvisational narrative pageantry, mostly consisting of running around his backyard pretending to punch putties. Age five, I learn to read. The first thing I remember reading is Peanuts in the Sunday comics. I will read the comics every day religiously for the next 13 years. My great-grandmother Melrose saves her Sunday papers for me because Harrisburg, Pennsylvania gets different comics. Only long after she has died will I develop the appropriate context and insight to truly appreciate this. Age six. I am sent to the office for quoting Alan Sherman, a comedian who died 14 years before I was born. (laughs) 
specifically, with no real appreciation of what I'm saying, I yell, Hail to thee, fat person, you kept us out of war, at my first grade teacher, Mrs. Holmes. (laughs) Age seven, I win a peer vote for best story in my second grade class. Second place goes to a boy named Sean, whose story I have also written because I want him to like me. For my prize, I select a rubber snake. My cat eats it. Sean does not come to my birthday. Age eight. I develop the habit of involuntarily crying in school, thereby ensuring I will cultivate the appropriate level of maladjustment to later narrow my career choices to comedy or shooting people. (laughs) Age nine. Perhaps channeling my continued struggles with spontaneous lacrimation, I begin writing light-hearted stories wherein I murder my classmates with various deadly implements. These stories come less from a place of genuine hate and more from love, specifically a love of describing their deaths. <laughs> Age 10. My friend Chris Rorys writes better stories than me for school. Notably, this doesn't upset me. I instead incorporate an abandoned opening paragraph of his as the jumping-off point for my latest story. The two of us continue to write revenge fiction, something the teacher becomes aware of and wearily ignores. I do not realize at the time how lucky I am that the Columbine shooting will not happen for another few months. Age 11. I receive a D on my age of exploration paper because I have focused less on actual research and more on making jokes about the resulting native genocide. This is also the year I discover masturbation, thereby ending my productivity forever. (laughs) Age 12. I'm writing my first novel. So is Chris, and his is better. Spotting an idea I particularly like, I explain how, wow, isn't this crazy? I was about to do, like, the exact same thing in my novel. Great minds, right? (laughs) Ha 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 ha! Age 13. Two years after the Columbine shooting, I'm sent to the counselor due to the dark content of my class writing. I talk my way out of it and learn to keep that shit light. Age 14. I'm published for the first time. It's a parody of Puttin' on the Ritz called Puttin' on the Crits, published in the back of the gaming comic Nights at the Dinner Table. Age 15. I abandon my first novel and begin work on my second. It's about orcs. (laughs) Age 16. Largely more orc fiction, although without realizing it, I'm also writing my first sketches for various thespian honor society functions. Age 17. My crying has long since matured into proper adult depression. My cries for help take the form of poetry, for which I accidentally win a college scholarship. Age 18. I spend a year performing comical poetry for the open mic nights around campus, making a modest name for myself. Then some upperclassmen make patronizing comments about me being Dr. Seuss, and I self-consciously stop. Age 19. Rabbit Rabbit, my sketch group, is formed originally as a four-person group. Uh, With Chris Blake, I begin writing my first intentional sketches. Age 20. Running out of money to pay for college and illegally purchased craft beer, I begin taking online commissions for erotica. Finally, I'm receiving financial remuneration for my ability to adequately imagine what a fox person's feet might feel like. (laughs) Dark days. Uh, (laughs) Age 21. When a girl the year below me has a cancer scare, I leave anonymous poems in her theater-building mailbox to try and cheer her up. In the course of writing them, I discover actual feelings of affection. She excitedly shows the poems to her friends, and when she guesses it's me, I ask her out. She turns me down in a letter. Later, it turns out she made up the cancer thing. I stop writing poetry. Age 22. I move to Chicago. Chris and I resolve to step up our game after a mostly positive review calls out one of our sketches for being lazy and mildly racist. I also abandon my second novel during the fourth rewrite. Seven years of orc fiction are wasted. Age 23. I attend the first Nerdalogs Your Stories. My first piece is about playing games with my dad. 
My second is about hardcore pornography. <laughs> Age 24. Frustrated with Rabbit Rabbit's progress, I break through a wall and begin writing only what amuses me, divorced from any external source of approval. Ironically, this brings the long-sought external approval. Age 25. I finally decide I'm at best a mediocre improviser and abandon the I.O. program. Instead, I assume primary writing duties for Rabbit Rabbit. Surprisingly, networking opportunities at my bedroom desk are somewhat less pronounced than they were at I.O., so I join the Nerdlogs. <laughs> Age 26. I finish out a year as part of the Nerdlogs, heading the writer's room for several year shows during one of the most productive years of my life. I also get sick 14 times, and after two months intermittently coughing up blood, I quit the Nerdlogs. <laughs> Age 27. When my girlfriend Sasha falls asleep next to me on the plane, I write my first real poem in six years. It's actually kind of okay, and I give it to her on her birthday while I save money for a real present. <laughs> Age 28. D-Day. I choose not to abandon my third attempted novel, yet, anyway. I honestly and critically appraise my quote-unquote career and discover that my third and ultimate mistake was in thinking I ever had a real choice. That the single thing which has most governed my life to date, the need to express, to create, and to entertain, can be discarded like a rain-soaked hat. I remember the same feeling once before, when I was 20, and I accidentally drove onto the 18-mile-long expressway to Dulles Airport. When I realized there were no turnoffs, that the only way out was forward, I remember screaming in rage because I knew I would never make my intended destination. And once I knew that, I calmed and accelerated, and through a throat sore from shouting, I sang as I drove. Now that metaphor might be a little obvious, but maybe that's what makes it good. And if you're thinking, no, that's not at all what makes it good, it's bad, well, you can fuck your butt. <laughs> That's a callback, and it's something comedian slash actor slash freelance editor slash aspiring novelist slash 28-year-old writers do, at least when there are no better options. Thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew, I'm, I'm sorry that helping us write our stupid shows made you so sick. We love you. Coming up next to the stage, guys, one of my favorite new storytellers that I, I met this year. He works here at Cards Against Humanity. I think he did the first show. I don't know what compelled him to do it, but, uh, you know, maybe as a favor or something. But, man, Henry, you're so good at this. I'm so glad you stuck around and done that a couple more times. This is Henry Birdseye. Hey! Hey, I was there. It's fine. So, about a year and a half ago, I got out of a nine-year relationship, and I started being a single person. And once the initial panic of living alone and, and realizing I was single, once that kind of went away, um, I realized, like, oh, the, the world is my oyster. This is only a good thing, uh, forgetting that sometimes oysters make people really sick. Um, <laughs> this is ultimately a story uh, about understanding uh, all, the, all the crazy things that can happen when um, you're just kind of out there on your own. So... About a year ago, I, uh, I went out with a girl named, uh, well, let's just call her Natalie. That's not her name, but we'll call her Natalie. And uh, we went out for a couple months, and things were pretty cool. Um, we had a good time together, and then uh, she wanted a boyfriend, and I wanted to keep kissing everyone. So, uh, so we had a fight, uh, as you do. And, uh, and then she moved away, not because of the fight. She, uh, she got a job in another city, so... We stopped talking, but we stayed Facebook friends, as you do. And um, a couple months pass, 
and uh, I think I liked something she posted on Facebook, like a, a picture of a sandwich or something. And uh, that must have reminded her that I exist and that maybe we miss each other a little bit. And she, uh, she messaged me uh, just to be like, hey. And I replied, being a charming conversationalist, hey. And <laughs> this was like a Tuesday night. And she's like, what are you, what are you up to? I'm just like, nothing, just having myself a Tuesday night. She goes, Cool. Do you want to FaceTime? And I said, yeah, yeah, let's do the old FaceTime chat where we do video conversation as two cool uh, single people do. When I first became single, I used to joke that I wasn't single. It was that my penis had gone freelance, um, which meant it was unemployed. So I figured it was time for uh, us two cool sexual freelancers to, uh, to do a FaceTime. Why not? What could possibly go wrong? So we moved from Facebook chat to, uh, to FaceTime. She is on an iPad, and I am on my laptop. And so I'm sitting on the couch and looking into a laptop, and she's holding up an iPad and walking around. And, and uh, FaceTime conversations are always a little awkward at first. Uh, you're just like, oh, look, another face. I have to look at someone when I talk to you now. This isn't like the phone. This is a bit more intense. And once we kind of get over that... We start chatting, how have you been, it's good to see you. Um, she gives me a tour of her New York City apartment, which takes about seven seconds. And, um, and then she decides that it's time to set the iPad down on her bed. And, um, and then she's like, I'll, I'll be right back. And so there's this moment where I'm left alone in... Uh, I'm in my living room, I'm sitting on the couch, I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt, it's a Tuesday night, who cares? And, uh, and she, she comes, and so I can, I can just see like her dresser, I'm it's sitting on the pillows of her bed, I can just kind of facing the foot of the bed, and she comes back and she's in her brown underwear, and I'm like, alright, this is so far so good. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, and then I realize I'm, I'm again wearing jeans and a t-shirt, um, not as sexy as the, the broad underwear situation she has going on. She looks incredible, and she starts, like, crawling toward the iPad like a sexy cat, just like, oh, hey. And, and that is fine. She looks great. And um, I don't, it's hard to say that and not be like, oh, by the way, I'm, like, really into cats. But she's just like a... The, the, uh, but she looks great, and I look like it's laundry day. Uh, so she's like... Well, what are you gonna do for me? And I'm like, I guess I can like take my t-shirt off, I guess. So I'm like, all right, just take my shirt off. And now I'm just sitting there with no shirt on in my living room, talking into a laptop to a beautiful woman. And uh, and then she's like, What do you want to do to me? And I say something, and then she replies, You know, when you did that, I always felt like that was more for you than for me. And suddenly we were fighting again. <laughs> This woman changed into her underwear, and I took my shirt off so that we could just have a fight. Just two cool single people. We can do whatever we want. And now on this Tuesday night, we're having ourselves a fight. This is horrifying. Uh, I expected so much more. Um, but no, she is no longer crawling like a cat. She's just standing at the foot of her bed shouting at me. And I'm kind of just shrugging with no shirt on on my couch. Like, I'm sorry, I don't know what I said. I just thought we thought this would be okay. And of course, she should say something like that. I don't expect anyone 
to to hear something that upsets them and just be like, no, nah, I'm going to roll with this. This is fine. We're going to keep talking sexy even though I'm angry. No, so we fight it out and we have ourselves a chat and things kind of calm down and and um, you know she's still in her underwear, so that's cool. And I'm like, maybe maybe we can salvage this. Maybe we'll just move forward uh, and things will turn out great. Uh, and then she's like, I'll be right back. And I'm like, all right. And then I'm like, wait, what is she possibly going to do now? She's in the thing she'd probably take off in front of me in like, sort of like a sexy FaceTime thing. So I don't know what's going to happen next. And she doesn't come back for a while. And then I realize that's a little weird. And, uh, and then I'm just by myself. And all I can see is an empty bedroom. And, and because it's FaceTime, I can see myself in the top right corner of my laptop screen. And I'm just like shrugging to no one. Like, is something going to happen now? Is everything okay? This is horrible. And... Uh, she doesn't come back. And I realized, like, oh, okay, is she upset now? Is she crying in the bathroom? And so I, I try shouting to her, like, is everything okay where you are? Because I'm still here on your bed and an iPad. And I'm, is there, okay, nothing. I hear nothing. I get a little bored. And I'm like, uh, I say, uh, she put on sexy music before this got started, and, and I don't know what to do. So I get out my phone and I Shazam the playlist <laughs> she's, she's got going. I'm like, oh, this artist is called Grimes. Thank you so much. Uh, I also noticed that um, when she put the iPad on the bed, she also brought her dog with her. And so I can also hear her dog breathing, which is really weird when you realize you're alone, but then you're not alone because you can hear a small dog breathing. Um, and then at some point, uh, the iPad, her dog nudges the iPad and it falls over. So now it's just, I see blackness on my laptop and myself in the top right corner. I've now put my shirt back on. This is not being salvaged. I'm just shrugging to myself with a just a black screen and myself in the corner and... I'm like, I don't think this is going to work out after all. And then the connection idles out, and I text her. I'm like, is everything okay? I, I'm sorry if I upset you. I didn't, I didn't mean for this to go this way, obviously. Um, and then I just go to bed because I get nothing back. And then uh, the next morning I get a text from her, and she's like, where'd you go, LOL? And I reply back, where did I go, LOL? Where did you go, LOL? And she's like, I fell asleep on the couch. I was like, well, that's very erotic. Thank you. Uh, and then uh, and then I was like, I don't know what to say now. I don't want to have a morning fight with you over text. Uh, so that was it. That's the end of what happened. We are still friends, at least until she hears this recording and we have another fight. Uh, uh, thank you. so glad our podcast can do that for your, your social and erotic lives. Lead, fight, lead to fights for you. Uh, speaking of eroticism, so this next fellow coming up, his last few stories have been a little bit steamy. He says he got something a little more serious tonight. I guess we'll see. Kyle Talley. Yeah. What's up, y'all? So, uh, yeah. I like, like Eric said, you know, uh, the last couple of stories I've done been like more fan fiction stuff and you know i really just wanted to do something kind of more serious it's you know the holiday season so you know i wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that so as many of you know uh christmas is my favorite time of year uh aside from being the perfect time to be a full-on uh yukon cornelius look-alike it's it's just like a really great time of year uh Christmas is, is the time where we put aside all of our selfish 
uh, needs and wants and, and try to think about others, or at least that's what we're supposed to do. Um, it's, it's a time of year where we strive towards peace on earth and, and goodwill toward man. Uh, and, and for me, uh, nobody exemplifies that spirit better than Santa Claus. Uh, Santa Claus is there to show kids, uh, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what race or income, uh, somebody loves them. Uh, and that's, that's important. That's really important. Um, and it, it's something I actually learned firsthand uh, about four Christmases ago. Uh, back home in Virginia, uh, I volunteer with uh, local YMCA and their Angel Tree program. Uh, that if you're not familiar with Angel Tree, it's, it's you know, people volunteer to buy uh, gifts and clothes for some of uh, the neediest kids in the city of Richmond. Um, they bring these kids into an elementary school and they give them a full meal, uh, dessert, everything. And then the kids get to meet with Santa. And it's a lot of fun for the kids and they, they really enjoy it and I, I, I had a great time. Um, so afterwards, uh, after when, once all the presents have been given out, I was actually approached by a little kid, a brother and a sister. Uh, and they, they, they had saved their dessert that was given, uh, to them from the dinner. And they, they gave it to me. And that, that had always really meant a lot to me. Uh, it's, it's really easy with all the hustle and bustle of the holiday season to forget, uh, what Christmas is really about. And that's actually what I thought as I was finishing making my Christmas list while sitting at the Cafe Dumont in New Orleans. Well, hey there, Cher. A familiar voice said. I immediately turn. Gambit, I gasp. It's been so long. It's only been a year, Cher. He says as he caresses my cheek. I follow him to the bathroom, uh, unbuckling my belt, uh, eager for his touch. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) I thought to myself, that's pretty hot. (laughs) I can't believe this is the fourth time I'm reading slash fiction in front of the audience for here for your stories. Uh, Nothing, Nate. Just just telling a Christmas story. I just got back from crushing noobs at magic, and I'm not in the mood for some lame Christmas story. We all know you're the best at Magic the Gathering, Nate. Not Andrew Bentley or Dan Hall could even stand up to you. That's right. I'm a winner, and winners take what they want. Nate said, Nate said as he leaned in closely. Do you mean it's finally going to happen? I said eagerly. That's right. Nate says, we're finally going to do it on stage in front of all of these people. Well, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. (laughs) Thank you, Kyle. I I don't think we can do a show in December and not have you. Oh, my God. That was so perfect. I'm sorry for who has to follow that next. Luckily, she's in the Nerdalog, so that's okay. This is her job. Katie Johnson-Smith, everybody. Last time I was up here, I talked about my pussy. Not doing that tonight. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
I just turned 29 last week, and I got really sad about it. I'm pretty sure my childhood self would look at me now and say, Hey, idiot, why aren't we famous? And why aren't we hotter? And why aren't we married? And most importantly, why aren't we listening to the Spice Girls like we defiantly told our mother we would every day of our adult life? (laughs) To my younger self, I say, We auditioned to play a young homeless woman with one line on Chicago PD last week. We were married and that did not work out. And we are never gonna feel hot enough. And... We listen to the Spice Girls sometimes, but come on, there's like a lot of music out there, so back off and stop trying to aggressively convert our friends to Christianity. (laughs) But really, the younger version of myself is a little bit right, because at 29, I sometimes feel like I've accomplished nothing. Is life really about accomplishing anything, though? I've wound myself up so tightly and kept myself so high-strung and tried to hold myself to some scheduled level of perfection that sometimes drives me insane. So when I do occasionally unwind, I kind of explode into a ball of self-destructive energy, and these explosions threaten to undo any positive thing I've built for myself. The more I can come into whoever adult me is, the more I repeat this cycle and the more I realize living isn't some race I can win. And at the end of my life, what the fuck is an achievement going to mean anyway? I'm probably not going to care. Adulting and getting older, for me, is exploring who I actually am and creating stuff I like with people I care about and not really caring what level of fame that may bring me. Adulting is realizing that putting too much stock in how I look is about as hollow as making out with strangers and near strangers in alleys. It's about... Being in a real two-way street type of relationship where my significant other and I see each other's flaws and know each other's mistakes and choose to stay, not because we are bound by law or God or obligation, but because we want to be with each other and no human is perfect. There's a lot of learning that comes with growing up and getting older. And yeah, maybe a younger version of me would think I'm a complete failure. But an older version of me would probably say something like, Hey, beautiful, we're nowhere near old. You, we create cool shit. Stop taking our hotness for granted. And please, can we listen to more Spice Girls? Thank you. Good, good ass reflections. Spice Girls forever. Um, this is a song, I came in this morning to rehearsal and was like, You guys... I'm a liar and a bad friend because this song came out in 2013. But it charted in 2015, so we're singing it anyway. Okay! Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm gonna tell an embarrassing thing about this song. Okay, this is an embarrassing thing about me. Um, so the person just on stage was my boyfriend. What? I know. Uh, but, uh, I make playlists for him on Spotify that are unironically here's the thing if they were ironic it'd be funny but they are unironically (laughs) they are unironically called for my love and then numbered um (laughs) I love you so this is a song this is a song that was on uh for my love 3 which is a really good one (laughs) I give you that backing, so this kind of sounds like a Bruce Springsteen story here. Yeah. Nice. 
songs I picked, uh, I have no parts for Claire on them. Such an asshole. But, uh, so this is from... You wanna fill me in? What song are we doing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that one. 
Oh. Yeah, the right. four chords. Yeah, so it. this is from one of my favorite albums of the year. Very contentiously a favorite, but I think it's great. Uh, it is an album that is completely a cover of another album. Uh, some people, some critics think that it is actually... A cop-out? Uh, uh, some critics think that. Others think that it's the... Uh, yeah, or that. <laughs> some people think that it's the singer's breakup album with Mandy Moore because he couldn't process his own feelings, so he used other people's songs to do that for him. Just and you know what? the biggest album of the year? Yeah, 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 the biggest album the previous year. I'm still sympathetic to that. I mean, what are we doing but using hey, other people's songs? Hey, whatever. Anyway, so this is called Out of the Woods by uh, Taylor Swift slash Ryan Adams. Kind of got a nice little replacements vibe at the start here. <laughs> Looking out at it now It all seems so simple We were lying on your couch I remember You took a Polaroid of us then discovered The rest of the world was black and white But we were in screaming color And I remember thinking Are we out? Are we out? Are we out of the woods? Are we out? Are we out? Are we out of the woods? Are we out? Are we out? Are we out of the woods? Are we in? Are we in the clear yet good? Looking at it now Last December built to fall apart and fall back together your necklace hanging from my neck the night we couldn't forget when we decided to move the furniture so we could dance like we stood a chance to bathe the airplanes Flying, flying, flying Are we out, are we out, are we out of the woods Are we out, are we out, are we out of the woods Are we out, are we out, are we out of the woods Are we in, are we in the clear yet good Are we out are we out? Are we out of the woods? Are we out? Are we out? Are we out of the woods? Are we out? Are we out? Are we out of the woods? Are we in? Are we in the clear? Yet I remember when you hit the brakes too soon. Twenty stitches in the hospital room. Uh, when you started crying, baby, I did too When the sun came up, I was looking at you Remember when we couldn't take the heat 
I walked out and said I was setting you free But the monsters turned out to be just trees When the sun came up You were looking at me Are we out? Are we out? Are we out of the woods? Are we out? Are we out? Are we out of the woods? Are we out? Are we out? Are we out of the woods? Are we in? Are we in? Are we in the clear good? Are we out? Are we out? Are we out of the woods? Are we out? Ryan Adams, Taylor Swift. All right, guys, we're going to take a short break. Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Alka Hollywood. Clint, Jared, and a guest talk about one movie each week, old or new, good or bad, and create a custom cocktail and drinking game around that movie. For more information, go to alkahollywood.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.